The following presentation was recorded at the Newbury Buddhist Monastery, Victoria, Australia. Please visit our website at nbm.org.au. Good evening. Good evening, good friends. And it's nice to be here again to meditate with you all. Yeah. And hello to people in the chat. I see Indira there. Hello. Cornell, Ignacio, Frank, Yasmin, many others probably listening as well. So welcome, everybody. Before we start uh, tonight's talk and meditation, you may have been rushing around today before you sat down for, the for this talk. So please take a moment to just arrive in the place where you are. You're probably at home. Home is a safe place for most people. So just acknowledge you're in a nice, safe environment. Just arrive there. Just take in the atmosphere of the room. So you can arrive in the present. Before I came here, I mean before this talk, I came early just so I could sit here for a while in the Dhamma Hall just to align myself with, with the vibes, if you want to put it like that. So I invite you all to do the same, to ground yourself where you are now. And know that during the talk and meditation, you can always return to that place where you are. You can always open your eyes and find some comfort just being at home being in your usual environment. So today, I want to start with an apology. Because last time that I spoke here on meditation, somebody at the end asked a question in the chat. And now the problem with these questions that uh, I get from the chat, it's very uh, impersonal. We can't do anything about that now. That's, uh, I'm not blaming anybody, of course, but it's hard sometimes to ask a question or to answer questions because I can't feel the person or see them. I can't ask any counter questions. So, yeah, last time I was talking here, that's actually already quite a few weeks ago, maybe almost two months, I mean, when I was talking on meditation, uh, somebody asked a question about traumatic memories coming up in meditation. And I felt obliged to answer and to give an answer to that. So what I said, in summary, the question was, 
uh, I got dramatic memories coming up in meditation. Is meditation still useful for me? That was the question. It's a good question, but my answer wasn't good. So I apologize. So because what I said was, also I'll summarize, I said something like, yeah, meditation is always useful. And uh, you can let go of the memories. That's sort of what my answer came down to. I think I knew I'm stayed a bit more than that, but uh, that's what I said. And afterwards, when I walked out of here, I start thinking, was that the right thing to say? Is meditation always useful? And is it easy? Or should I say, is that the right approach to just say, let go of your memory in cases of trauma? And I didn't know. I just sort of went with my own limited experience of life and answered based on that. So I should have had that question in the back of my mind and wanted a solution for that. Later, I just by accident, I opened the book. Uh, it's called Bear Awareness, B-E-A-R Awareness. By, and it's by, by Ajahn Brahm. Uh, he didn't make the book, but people collected quotes from Ajahn Brahm, put it in a book. And one of the things was also almost exactly the same question. And I just randomly opened to that page. Of, I don't even know why I picked up the book, to be honest. It was just sitting on a shelf here. And just open it up and boom, straight there was the same question. How do I deal with trauma traumatic memories? And Ajahn Brahm's answer, I would say pretty much came down to the same thing. Let go of the memories. He was able to, to see the person in, in question. So maybe, maybe that, at that point it was the right answer, but I still thought if this question is coming up before as well for me, I thought maybe it's not, not, not that simple in the cases of trauma. And I think I gave the wrong answer when I said meditation is always useful and let go of the past. That's too easy, too simple an answer. So I, I, I thought now is the time of COVID, more people are easily more triggered with trauma and that they made search for answers in meditation. So I have a responsibility as a teacher to know a bit more about this topic, to be less ignorant. So what I decided to do, even though it's a range retreat and we usually just try to focus only on our own practice at Dhamma, I decided to, to reach out to some trauma professionals uh, who treat trauma partly with meditation. And I reached out to them and asked, I need to know a bit more if I want to be able to help people with this, or at least not make meditation 
that the meditation make things worse. So please help me. It's basically what I what I asked them. And it's ideal now with the internet. I mean, I don't have to go out of the monastery. <laughs> I could just send an email uh, to the to those people, and they responded really, really nicely and quickly. And they gave me access to a whole whole load of information and a whole course even. It usually cost a lot of money, but because I was a monk, they allowed me it for free. But I'm doing the doing the material really, really slowly, and uh, no way that will ever make me an expert in the topic. And it's probably way too early for me to really talk on this in any depth. But I wanted to anyway because I hope the person from two months ago may still be listening to this. And I hope to, and because I may not have another opportunity to talk here on this, uh, this channel on the YouTube, I wanted to address now uh, this topic, at least to the extent that I know now after being in contact with those people as professionals and reading their books and watching their lectures, etc. I know little, 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 little tiny bit more than I did earlier. So I want to share you what I learned. And uh, so please, whatever I say, take into account that I am uh, learning this and I only know a tiny bit. So I want to talk a bit about that. I hope that is an appropriate topic. Um, if the topic of trauma is very difficult for you listening, then please feel free to, um, you don't have to uh, listen to the whole talk. You can just, if things get too much, you can press the pause button, maybe come back later, or you can just uh, leave the talk if you feel that is better for you. But I also want to say that some people may be listening now and think, well, trauma, I don't have trauma. I might as well close this window and uh, um, listen to another talk. What I found from, uh, those books and lectures and all, is the techniques that can help people with traumatic memories are very, very useful also in general. And so I think everybody can, can learn from some of those things that I am learning now. So first question with those with those trauma uh, psychiatrists, uh, the first question that come up is, is meditation always useful? Yeah, that was, that was my ignorant answer. And basically what they said was they encourage meditation and it can definitely be useful for people with trauma. They have seen that in their experience. But to say that it is always useful, no. Sometimes, depending also on 
the the approach to meditation depends on that a lot sometimes people who have traumatic memories sometimes it may be better to back off from meditation for a while maybe take another approach to to their uh, traumatic stress like talking to professionals etc because sometimes meditation can bring things too close so i would say when i said meditation is always useful then uh, that was the wrong thing to say it can be useful probably in most cases it is it is useful um, but not always what else they taught me and here i felt a bit uh, verified actually <laughs> i i realized that uh, I didn't say everything wrong because what they also told me is it is important for people to have options in meditation. Don't just teach them, for example, focus on the breath as the only method or scan the body as the only method or whatever it may be. Especially in guided meditations, don't tell people what to do. Because, for example, people who don't feel very much in touch with their body because of some traumatic experience, say sexual violence or whatever, they might not uh, be able to do the body scan very well and it may actually be very uncomfortable for them. Then I felt verified because I almost always when I do guided meditations, I say, I don't know what is the right thing for you to do. And do whatever you feel is right. I'm going to teach you this and that today, but you can do something else. And that's exactly what I also said two, two months or so ago uh, at that guided meditation session. I said that beforehand as well. So that was, you know, that is something for people to consider every time you do a meditation, a guided meditation, or whatever meditation. There's always options available. If some method of meditation makes you feel uncomfortable, and this doesn't have to be trauma, but it can be also um, for other reasons. Some method of meditation is not working, then feel free to try something else or if it's the right thing, you might even want to stop the meditation for the moment. And maybe instead of sitting down, you can do walking meditation or instead of walking meditation, you can also just do something else altogether. Meditation is not always the thing you need. So meditation methods are not the goal. I have seen quite often that people, they get taught a certain meditation method and they think if I just stick to this method long enough, try hard enough, give it enough of my willpower, then eventually I'll, I'll uh, get what I want out of meditation, get the peace or whatever. 
But that is not the approach the Buddha gave. I see sometimes people and then they get taught. I, people get taught uh, breath meditation, anapanasati, yeah? mindful, mindful breathing, basically. And I had somebody come up to me and say, yeah, I'm taught this, but it doesn't just not feel right. But I see people just stick to the method. They think anapanasati or breath meditation, that is the thing to do. That is what you have to do to uh, get peace or to progress in meditation or whatever your goal is. But Buddha never said that. In fact, very striking in the Anapanasati Sutta. Just before the Buddha teaches meditation on the breathing, Anapanasati, he says, in this monastery, there is mendicants. Mendicants means bhikkhus and bhikkhunis. There are mendicants who are practicing loving kindness. There's also mendicants who practice compassion. There's mendicants who practice contemplation on the body. There's mendicants practicing equanimity. There's mendicants practicing this and that. And the list goes on and on. And then he says at the end, and there's also mendicants who practice Anapanasati. And now I will teach you how to do Anapanasati. But notice that the Buddha never says that Anapanasati is better or anything than all those other methods. So always realize you have the freedom to do your do something else and just use your inner compass to guide you. I've sort of intuitively always done that. That's why I always in guided meditations always have been saying this, do what feels like the right thing to do. So I hope you also get that intuition. Ah. So instead of focusing on the method, focus on the goal of meditation. What is the goal? The goal is to find peace and quiet find a sense of happiness. And if things go the other way, more dysregulation, more anxiety, more disjointedness, then it's time to pull the brake, maybe change your approach to meditation find a balance again, find, pe find peace again, and not just, not just forcefully stick with the method that you were taught. Use wisdom instead of your willpower is what Ajahn Brahm often says. So this is especially will be true for people with trauma. You need to find you need to be able to find a certain balance 
point in your meditation. Let's say you need to find certain safe, safe place where you can work from. Traumatic memories will come up and they may be very challenging. But if you have a safe place to return to, then you can prevent them from becoming overwhelming. The safe place can be the breath, doesn't have to be. Could also be just the feeling of sitting on your chair. Can be the sounds that you hear, maybe birds outside or cars driving by. Can be just yourself giving yourself a little hug. That is also very comforting. That sort of answers the first part of my, sort of corrects the first part of my answer that I gave last time, that meditation is always useful. I would in future answer it more in this kind of sense. And I hope that uh, makes, makes some sense to people. Then the second part of the question, uh, or the second part of my answer, I should say, was just let go of the memories. But what I've learned now, and again, I only know a tiny bit, is that with traumatic memories, it's not like that. Usual memories we bring into the present. We sit down to meditate, and then we may be a bit bored with the present moment, so we go and think about what happened before. Maybe we bring up the conversation we had that didn't go as we wanted to, we should have said something else or whatever. Those memories we bring, we create in the moment. However, traumatic memories are different, as I understand. They, we don't bring them into the present. It's like they are already, uh, the trauma is, they call it unintegrated. So it's more like the memories force themselves upon us or upon those people who struggled with that. So it's, it's different. It's almost like, I would say, from what I understand, it's almost like pain in the body. You can't easily ignore the pain. It some, somehow attracts your attention when you meditate. And, I, and if I would just say, oh, just ignore it, that is not the right answer. It's also, it's, it's like this dual kind of energy with pain. That's one, you probably have noticed some, some part of you just wants to focus on it. You can't ignore it, but another part of you doesn't want to focus on it. Sort of pushes you away. So it's like this dual thing. You, look, you need to look at it, but you don't really want to either. And maybe that is a bit similar to those traumatic things. You can't ignore it. So what do you do with pain if you can't ignore it? 
Make sure it doesn't become overwhelming. Don't force yourself through the pain. Always also have a place where you can also put your attention that is not pain. Let's say you have a painful knee. And if that's all you focus on, it might become really too much. So then remind yourself also there's other parts in your body that are not in pain. So from time to time, you also need to return to that. That could be your breathing, could be something else. So what I was taught by those psychiatrists is that people with trauma need to have something similar. When the traumatic memories come up and they become too much, then they need to have also a place to return to. So they can regulate, uh, let's say, let's call it the energy. Because when they focus, too, when you focus too much on the memories, you become very, your energy become, can become very dysregulated. I can relate it to it in, to some extent. So make sure you don't get pulled in too much. The thing with traumatic memories that they are different from normal memories is that they can be locked into your nervous system in a sense. Uh, because there may something has happened that really challenged your well-being. This could be all, all sorts of things. Normally we think about death or sexual abuse but there's many more things that can create a trauma can be slowly built up as well but something that challenges your well-being that you haven't been able to process yet let's call it process uh, this may be something like almost dying for example i was once walking in the in the pyrenees for those people who listened yesterday to my talk of I talk about my father while in the Pyrenees, I was also with my father and uh, we were hiking in the Pyrenees is there like these big mountains uh, on the border of Spain and France. And we had a really long day of hiking uh, we had had already and I was already quite tired and I also had an injury in my foot. And uh, at the end of the day, there was a really, really steep cliff that we had to traverse walk down the cliff basically, well, cl almost climb down the cliff. And what happened is I, I tripped, my, my feet gave in basically because I was so tired and I didn't support me rightly. And I, and I fell. And for a moment, I thought I was going to die. I really thought it. I thought, and I, and my, 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 fear system or what what do they call it fight or flight and fight or flight system or whatever they really kicked in and just all the adrenaline so high but luckily i fell towards the mountain and not towards the <laughs> the abyss <laughs> because otherwise i would have probably not be sitting here <laughs> but that was really scary but what happened afterwards was after I got to the safe place where it wasn't so steep anymore, I suddenly just started shaking and crying 
and I couldn't understand why. Because I thought I was a top, top guy. I was already like in my uh, 20s and uh, I shouldn't cry over falling. That was my, was, I, re I have been taught now that was, that was like a, a response of your body to get rid of all the energy that is from uh, your ad adrenaline and your fight and flight system. All the energy needs to be released. So that was like processing the traumatic event by sort of shaking it off and crying. And apparently animals is also what they do. They shake it off or they, yeah, they, they know naturally what to do. And because I was with my father, I felt natural. I didn't feel ashamed to cry. So I didn't have to hold it in. And that's why I could process that event easily and I can talk about it easily now. But for people who experience a traumatic event, it's not always a possibility to shake things off easily. They may be trapped, oppressed. They may be ashamed. Or whatever. All those are situations that can happen. Or you may not just not allow yourself. You think you shouldn't react to some event or whatever it could be. And that can lock the energy inside. And that energy is sort of what creates the post-traumatic stress syndromes. This is how I understand it now from what I've been talking with those. And uh, so again, I'm far from an expert on this, but I wanted to talk about this just in case that person may be listening and maybe get a bit more uh, sensible approach, basically correcting what I said before. So what can we all learn from this people who may not have trauma? It's also important to find balance in a meditation. I compared it before with pain, but it can also be other things in meditation that can be get too much. We can get too too energetic, or on the other hand, we can be too dull or withdrawn. We may be avoiding something instead of focusing on it too much. There's a story in the suttas about uh, this, this, this monk and is always struggling with being overly energetic or being too, too dull. <laughs> And he goes to the Buddha and says, well, how do I do about this? And the Buddha says, well, you used to play a lute before, right? Well, when you played the lute, you had to make sure the string was just right. The tightness of the string, the tension of the string, not too tight, not too loose, because if it's too tight, it breaks the string if you play. And if it's too, too loose, then it just blocks and it doesn't make 
a sound and you can't play your lute. And it's the same the Buddha said in meditation. You need to find the right, let's say, energy level or the right balance between being too much excited and too underexcited. That is the uh, Sutta of Sona and the Lute, in case you want to look it up. And then the Buddha talks about all the awakening factors, how to use them in that case. And it is one of my, actually my favorite suttas because it's very practical uh, to uh, use. But I, I would love to talk about it more. But uh, I realize I've already been talking for half an hour and this is supposed to be a guided meditation. So let's meditate together and I will guide you through. And what I will focus on is finding a place of comfort inside that we can return to, whatever that will be for you. And then I'll see whatever else comes up in the meditation. And again, I will also make this time also the disclaimer. I'm going to teach you things and approaches to meditation in the guided meditation, but feel free to do things differently. For example, if I say, now you can close your eyes, then you don't have to close your eyes. If that, if that doesn't feel comfortable to you, then you can leave them open as well. You are your own teacher. I am only giving you some tips and ideas, but I am not a meditation teacher. You are the meditation teacher. Your own experience is what teaches you. So I can't tell you what to do. You need to figure it out for yourself. And if I say something that's counterintuitive to you, you don't have to do that. So, talking and talking, let's, let's meditate. And yeah, I know this was maybe a bit more heavy talk than you were expecting. So let's take it, go easy into our meditation. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa 
namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhassa buddham dhammam sangham namasyami Oh, please find a comfortable posture for meditation. The best meditation posture is not full lotus. It's not cross-legged. It's not Burmese or what. The best method is what suits you. At this moment in time, what suits your body? So you can sit cross-legged like I am. You can sit on a chair. You can also stand up or lie down. The Buddha mentioned all these postures. They're all fine. So find what's comfortable to for you. And just Allow the presence, present to, to come into your awareness. Just open up to whatever is going on right now in your body and mind or in your environment. What sounds do you hear? What feelings do you feel in your body? Just check it out. No need to judge your feelings, change it. And now just see what is going on in the present moment.
and what is going on inside your mind. Just notice the energy level of the mind. Is it active? Or is it being dull? Focus on the whole of your experience. Taking in the present as fully as you can. We have no need to change the present. We can't change the present because it's already here. But we can be kind to the present. Open up to whatever is happening. Now, see if you can find something in the present moment that feels safe, that feels comfortable, reliable, something that feels like a good friend in a sense. This may be just the solidity you get from sitting, the contact with the surface beneath you is grounding. Maybe your feet on the floor if you're sitting in a chair. Maybe your hands touching each other. It may be just a general space you're in. Could be your breath as well. Find something that you can 
make deep contact with something you think yeah this is this makes me feel okay this makes me feel safe and balanced this may take some experimentation i'm not saying you find it straight away but when you do find it know that whatever happens in meditation or even in life you can return to this if meditation gets overwhelming you can return to your breath you can return to the feeling of your hands touching each other your hands maybe touching your ties that's another nice thing you can always come back to this You can always come back to this. So you return to this place of safety. Back to the present. You can use it if memories come up that are too much. You can use it if you get overly angry. You can use it if you're in pain or sick. This anchor that you have, this, this good friend is there for you. So send kindness to your friend.
smile at the, your friend, this place where I'm going to use the breath from now on as an example. But whatever you have picked that feels right to you may also be, by the way, a blanket that you're touching, something like that. For now, I'm going to use the breath as an example, but just fill in whatever your anchor is. Whenever I say breath, you think whatever is your anchor. Really be in touch with the breath. Think so happy to see you again, breath. Thank you for coming visit me. Is there anything I can do to make you more comfortable? If there is, just listen to the answer that you get from this question. When I asked, is there anything I can do for your breath? The answer was, yeah, sit less up, upright, just chillax a bit more in your posture. So that's what I did. And you do whatever you feel is right. Imagine embracing a breath. It's your best mate. Assume so much good time together. Thank you, breath. Thank you for being there.
I'm so fortunate to be able to breathe freely. Thank you for supporting me in the hard times. Thank you for sharing all the good times. I really like being with you, Breath. I will now stay quiet for, say, another 10 or 15 minutes. Then I'll ring the bell.
in a minute. I will ring the bell to signify the end of the meditation. But before that, take a moment just to check out where your mind and body are at now. How do you feel? Which parts of your experience right now are peaceful, more peaceful? And then remember what you did to reach that peace. You'll find it's always kindness, always kindness and peace when letting go. And maybe there's parts of your experience that haven't become more peaceful, but maybe you're more agitated. That's okay. And also ask, how did that come about? What did you do? So just take a minute and reflect which of my instructions were helpful, which were not. And remember those that were helpful. Make them part of you. Part of your meditation toolkit. I will now ring the bell and at the end of the third ring it's time to come back out of meditation back into the wider world. Oui.
I got really into it there for a moment. <laughs> well, not more than a moment. Yeah, so to find a place of comfort in meditation is important. To find refuge somewhere. Could even just be an idea. You can in meditation also take refuge in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha. If things get tough, which they might, then you can also bring up Buddha Dhamma Sangha. Buddha Dhamma Sangha, yeah. To, to help you through as an anchor. or any of the other anchors that I've given you, breath, feeling of sitting, whatever it is for you. And if you do have that anchor, make it your best friend. Make it something you love being with. And if you do that, then there's always a place for you to return to. And always a place you can find if you feel like you get dragged along in life. When you get dragged along by your memories or by pain or anything else. So I hope you have been able to find this place of safety and comfort. And if not yet, try some other places or things. I, <laughs> a few times in my monastic life, I had quite a rough time. Meditation is not always easy. You think all these things the Buddha talk about are all easy. Hmm? If the Eightfold Path was easy, well, believe me, you would have walked it to the end a long time ago. Eightfold path isn't easy, it's hard. So also for monastics like me, sometimes it's hard. <laughs> and sometimes that's just all you have to know. <laughs> that is sometimes hard and there's no judgment in that. It's just uh, a realization. It's not like sometimes it's hard, ah, oh, that's bad, no. Sometimes it's just hard, period. <laughs> I was reminded of this by a good friend of mine, Benoit uh, Calico once. I had uh, quite a rough time as an Anagarika uh, for a little bit. The rough times are rare, but when they do come for me, they come quite uh, strong. So I was really having a challenging time. And, I, and uh, 
yeah, I was actually uh, really touched. And then at some point I just said, sometimes it's just hard. That's what came out of me naturally. And that was just the thing for me to say. But a couple, I don't know how much later, but then Venerable Calico told me, yeah, what you said back then, sometimes it's just hard. That was really helpful, he said. <laughs> I didn't even realize it, but I remember now because he reminded me. So yeah, that is right. Sometimes it's just hard. So in the hard times, what do you do? You find something to comfort you. Could be one of those meditation objects that I mentioned. What did I do once as a monk? Uh, a couple times, actually. I think it was just meditation, letting go of your, letting go of attachments. It's not easy. So sometimes, what did I do? <laughs> I crawl into bed and I hug my robe. I hug my robe. I've gotten it on right now. And I've told some people already before that really my best friend in life is my robe. Gives me so much comfort. I'm still having the same robe that I ordained in seven years or so ago. Still the same. Thank you so much, Concord. <laughs> Don't know if you're listening for offering it to me. It's my robe. Sometimes I just hug it because it makes me feel in the right place. I'm a monk. I've got a robe. It's all I need. I don't need anything else. And just that feeling of comfort, the touch and emotion that it brings to me. Wow. So much merit to Concord for offering me this robe. Bring me so much peace. And I hope you can find something similar like that. Maybe a Buddha statue on your shrine you can look at when life is hard. Get inspired by the Buddha. Wow. He, he also had hard times, Buddha. He talked about it in the suttas. He was afraid of his meditation before he was enlightened, he said. But he pulled through. It's an example. This is why the Buddha statue is there as a reminder. Or maybe it's just your partner that always gives you peace to be with. Or a place in your house or a pet. Yeah. Well, been talking a lot again, and I hope this uh, person who asked the question 
those two months ago has been listening and uh, also for anybody else i hope that anything was useful and just take home with you what was useful and what wasn't or what was too much or just not for you then please disregard that so now i would like to open up for some questions if there are any thank you so much bante i think everyone is still in their safe place actually <laughs> because we don't have any questions uh, lots of appreciation and i'm not sure if you've seen but there's a comment um, i would like to read out and share that says thank you for this beautiful trauma-informed meditation i will take this with me in my practice as a counselor for people with substance abuse disorders many of whom have significant traumas Ah, thank you for that comment. Is is that person still uh, in the chat? If you are, please say hi. They may and well be, Bante. I just uh, would say there's about a 30-second delay uh, going to YouTube, so you may not hear and see an answer for a little while. Okay. Well, oh, I see it's Casey. Yes. So if you're still there, Casey, Please uh, leave your email address in the chat, or maybe if you hear this afterwards, uh, send uh, get in contact with the BSV. Then I will see that and I'll get you in contact with those uh, professionals that I was talking about. Uh, and because I, as I said, I'm no almost nothing. Uh, they will be able to help you much better. And uh, yeah. I can do that for you if you want. So thank you again, Bante. Um, at this point, I think there will be no questions. So uh, we can finish the guided meditation if you like. Yes. Oh, thank you again, everybody, for listening. Thank you for the BSV for giving me the opportunity to talk about this and to correct some uh, things that I uh, uh, stupidly said last time. I am also learning. Everybody is always learning. Whole life is learning. So please forgive me for the mistakes I made uh, before. And uh, yeah. I hope to see you again, or, well, I don't see you, but I, yeah, I hope to see you again, because I hope that we can be together again at some point in the future. No, I'll leave it at that. Bante, a question has just come oh. in at the very last moment. I'm not sure if you uh, feel able bell. to answer that. Yeah. Is that okay? Oh, I see yes. it. Thank you. Bastian asks, what is the difference between being a doormat and being in compassion? It takes courage to set healthy boundaries. Yes, it does. Compassion, you need also have to have compassion for yourself. So if you have compassion for yourself, 
Now you also should recognize if people take an advantage of you, that that is not being compassionate. Because compassion, we teach in Buddhism, for all living beings. And you are also part of all living beings. So compassion does not mean that you give in such a way that it harms you. That it takes something away from you. Compassion needs to be so that you give or help out in a way that everybody benefits from the situation, including you. So you need also to have courage to say no. It does take courage. And one way to create the courage is sometimes just to step back a bit from the situation and analyze it. Am I benefiting from this? Or am I not benefiting from this? Is it only the other people who benefit and I actually uh, get worse out of this situation? Whenever you have a time away from them, then you can think on this clearly. When I was a younger monk, uh, we have uh, we used to have an office in the meditation center. I usually spend my time in Bodhinyana Monastery, that's in Western Australia, and there is a meditation center about a kilometer away. And the monks, they if they want to use the internet, they go over there. And well, the internet nowadays is as you all know, it's just necessary. Yeah? We need to do our visas, we need to do emails, and we need to do all sorts of things. So we need an office. And the office has quite a few computers in. And at some point, one of the monks who did all the IT stuff, who kept all the computers and so going, he uh, wanted to no longer do that. So he asked for somebody else to take over. And I put my hand up, I will do it. In the middle of the whole Sangha, the whole group of monks, I put my hand up, I'll do it. No problem. So I did it. I took over, he guided me into it, setting up the whole system. It's all with network routers and printers and it all needs to be safe and uh, able for also for old people to use so not complicated but it's a, quite involved was actually and i've been doing that for a week or two and i noticed no this is not right for me i feel very uncomfortable doing this because I did not, not feel like a monk doing that work. It was really quite dysregulating. I wasn't being used as a doormat because the people, of course, the monks didn't, didn't abuse me or anything. 
but I realized I need I need to need to stand up for myself and say I don't want to do this even though earlier I really put my hand up yeah I'll do it no problem I realized no I need to need to say need to step back I need to not not do this any longer because this is not helping me I feel more tense my meditation wasn't as good anymore so I went to Ajibram and I said I don't want to do this anymore it's making me feel like a layperson and he said what did he, did he argue or give arguments why it's good to do no he said okay then you don't do it anymore just let the sangha know that you don't want to do it anymore that's fine and so that's what i did and uh, <laughs> i didn't know to do the computers anymore <laughs> and there were other monks who didn't feel so dysregulated by it who uh, took it over from there so bastian maybe you're in kind of a similar situation then just uh, realize that you have to st stand up for yourself say no maybe say yes to whatever your situation is in you need to uh, realize what is best for you always take your your self interest in mind this is compassion it's actually a quite a difficult kind of compassion for many people some people are easy compassion for others but compassion for themselves no that, that is for many people is harder but uh, don't let it be harder yeah you deserve all the compassion in fact you are the person you can care for the most so you deserve the most compassion because you're so close to yourself yeah so have the courage to uh, stand up thank you bante there is one last question if we just we have a few minutes left before 9 p.m the next question is bante do you have any advice for me, I have been stuck in a rut of death anxiety. It's mm. not widely discussed in Western culture. The five remembrances, remembering I am of the nature to die, gives me fear. What a beautiful question. Thank you. It really plays into the topic I was talking about, yeah. With trauma, yeah. Be Trauma and being afraid of death, they, they, they often go hand in hand. So if you are, say, the five remembrances give me fear, if that, then ask yourself, I would ask you, that level of fear, do you feel comfortable with it? Or do you feel it's too much? Is it dysregulating you and you feel like you're not benefiting from this contemplation? In that case, don't do it. As I said in the introduction, the Buddha taught so many things. And you don't need to do them all. There's a reason why the Buddha taught all these meditation topics. And a great teacher. Because he realized that we are all different. 
we need a different approaches. Our whole history is different. Our personality is different. We're the same in many ways as well, but meditation is very subtle. So it's not like a one, one, one medicine to cure everything. It's not, it's not one tool for many jobs. No, you need very specific tools sometimes. So uh, if contemplation of death is not helpful, don't do it. Instead, find something else where you can find safety in. Maybe do the exact opposite. Focus on how alive you are right now. Really experience things. Do the best you can. For example, you, if, you, if you're eating, just eat with all the attention that you can. Really enjoy the food to the fullest. And wow, I'm alive. I can eat the food. I can taste it. Smell the flowers. Yeah. Look up at the sky and just realize, wow, I'm alive. It's wonderful being alive. So maybe to try that instead, see if that helps. So, don't know anything more to say about that. And it's nine o'clock. So I would say thank you everybody, especially London for organizing. And uh, again, if those people from earlier were listening, I just kind of contact with the BSV and I'll get you into contact with uh, those professionals. Thank you everybody for listening. Thank you, Bante. Good night, everyone.